October 15th, 2020. Time to tee it up, overtimers. When you think about Terry Metcalf, doesn't a smile just come across your face? From early on, Terry was the man on the field. Took him a little while to be the same off it. Hang tight for this one. 18 days till the general election. If you are requesting a mail-in ballot, deadline is next Wednesday. I mailed mine in today. You have to print it out, physically mail it old school. Google mail-in ballot Missouri and click the links. So I'm minding my own business last night, watching the national news with the fam, and up pops this story about a firefighting robot. Brilliant. Thermite RS3. Imagine a remote control tank with the power of 15 hoses. It can operate 20 hours without refueling, goes into buildings, travels terrain, and uses its infrared cameras to see and rescue folks caught in the fire. The government spends $930 million a year alone on printing. Slash that by $900 million and get one of these bad boys in every city pronto. Three things you should if you have not. First, on YouTube, courtesy of ESPN College Football, 10 minutes of fun, recapping Mizzou 45, LSU 41. You can actually see the entire game if you don't mind sitting through a few dozen DraftKings commercials. Second, there's a free streaming platform my daughter found, Tubi, T-U-B-I, worth the download for your smart TV. A really good collection of movies and documentaries I haven't seen elsewhere. Last I checked, they had a classic segment, kids shows, music and concert. The Van Halen Early Years doc from 2003 is a go-to. No brown M&Ms. The Trojan Rubber Company. Classic. Now it's time for me to ask you to subscribe to the podcast. If you have not, just click on that little subscribe button. You get two emails a week letting you know which episodes are coming. You can check out Terry St. Louis 7 on YouTube. To subscribe there, the YouTube channel is OT with Oliver. Previous episodes are up, including some fun we had with Jackie Smith and Mel Gray, among others. Lastly, on Facebook, go check out the St. Louis Football Cardinals group. Bob Underwood does a great job guiding the ship. The members are always contributing top-notch insight. I was on it yesterday, watching clips of the Cardinals beat Dallas at Bush, St. Louis Football Cardinals group. All right, come on down, number 21. Thank you, Mel Gray, for getting us together. I don't know about you, but I had not heard or seen anything from Terry in the last couple decades. If you haven't heard, Terry is being inducted October 20th into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame luncheon in Springfield. You can look it up online or email Boer at mosportshalloffame.com. Boer is B-O-O-H-E-R. Short notice, that's this Tuesday. If you make it, hit the classic steak and shake on the way out. How did Terry get there? Why, perhaps, did it take that long? We talk about it all from catching Don Coriel's eye at Long Beach State to hating the Cowboys on the cardiac cards to getting clean and finding the Lord in Seattle. He was one of my favorites growing up, and now he's one of my favorite conversations. Welcome to the OT family, Terry Medcalf. Go to Overtime. Overtime with Oliver, with my dad. Tell your friends. Yeah, I had to borrow the camera from our school. I borrowed the, you know, the little camera, plugged it into my desktop just to be sure. Because I, yeah, I didn't want to mess around and not have audio and all that stuff. So it's all good. I like the shirt, Dr. Terry. Yeah, that's what that's what they call me at school. Been a little bit of a journey, eh? Quite a long journey. Um, <laughs> I would not, um, never thought I'd be where I'm at today and the things that I'm doing today. Don't need to delve right into it, but when you, when you say that statement, 
you're doing a lot of great things, man. I mean, for people who maybe haven't heard about you or from you in a while, you're inspiring and you're motivating and you're making a difference. Well, thank you. I'm just, just trying to do what the Lord told me to do. You know, a lot of people have done a lot of good things for me in my past. Uh, sometimes I even rejected them, but they were trying. So uh, I'm just trying to help the next person or people uh, get a leg up and uh, be successful. And not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be monetarily, but as, a, as an individual, know who they are, believe in who they are, and strive to be the best that they can be. And you're doing it back in Seattle. Yes, uh, hometown, born, raised. Uh, this, this is me. Uh, uh, little, I didn't have a lot of relatives in Missouri or in Virginia. Then, uh, due to circumstances, I had to go back home, and so I just came home. And uh, this is where, let's say, the leaf was turned over, and uh, a new life began. Franklin High School, 1969, what do we remember? Oh, I remember um, we didn't have an opportunity to play in the state playoff because for some reason they had postponed it during that time I was in high school because we had an opportunity to, but we didn't get that chance. Uh, so what I remember, uh, I think I was telling you earlier, we had the second AstroTurf in the country. Houston Astrodome was first. And, uh, Memorial Stadium down at Seattle Center was the second, and we were kind of the guinea pigs of the AstroTurf because of the weather conditions, you know, uh, constant rain. And like I said, we didn't know anything about it other than it was turf and it was dry. And didn't understand when it gets wet, it was slippery. And when it's dry, it, it can burn you just like a you know, basketball court could. Uh, um, and it's hard. But uh, we, we went through it for two years. I did for two years, and I uh, learned a lot. Then I got to St. Louis and back again on that AstroTurf. <laughs> <laughs> so I was looking into Franklin High School. A lot of really interesting people graduated from there. I'm, I'm going to go from left to right. On the left, Kenny G? Yes. Yes, Kenny G, Yes. Is it, he, he ever hanging out in the bars, ripping? <laughs> but see, I didn't know Kenny G like that, but I know he, I know he went there. Yes, yes. Best running back in Franklin, you or Corey Dillon? Well, Corey Dillon, um, yeah, he got to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that's something that you know everybody wants on there. But Corey was a uh, – I coached Corey actually when he was in the 10th grade at Franklin. And then due to circumstances, I had to leave, and, but they went on and they did good things. And he did a lot of good things at Franklin. And then he went on to the university. No, he went down in Texas, I think, or somewhere. And then he came back to the University of Washington. In an effort to try and not waste your time, I do a little research before these interviews, right? Absolutely. Terry, I did not know you were a dad at 16. Yeah, Eric. Um, Eric I think of dad. myself at 16. No freaking way, man. Well, it wasn't something that I planned, put it that way. Um, but I did take responsibility of that and did as much as I could possibly do uh, under circumstances. Uh, I tried to get a job. I was going to quit. Um, I didn't want to run track. 
because I was going to spend that time working and trying to help out you know, the mother. But then my dad uh, told me, no, you're going to go run track. So I had to quit the job. Um, but I did what I could, um, the best that I could, and uh, was always there for him as a youngster. Was your dad a track guy? No, my dad was a hardworking man, worked at Bowling uh, for 25 to 30 plus years. Uh, came from uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, in the service. Uh, just a hardworking man, you know, a man that worked every day, provided, uh, did the best he could with what he what he knew. Uh, you know, during those times, you know, men weren't taught to be men the way we are taught to be men now. You know, men were tough and men don't cry and fix their own problems or those kind of that's the kind of uh, background he had and that's what he kind of portrayed to me and my brothers how many brothers and sisters did you have I had two brothers and two sisters and are they all athletic as well uh my old my brother was my oldest brother was uh, he played uh, football in high school and in junior college then he stopped after that my my younger brother could have been, um, but he kind of stopped in high school. So I was the only one to really pursue my sisters. They didn't really play sports uh, as, as, as young sisters. They tried to play a little volleyball and stuff as they got older, but they found out that stuff hurts too. So uh, they didn't do that much. So you go from Franklin to Everett Community College. Yes. In addition to playing football, long jump and triple jump champion and i think you might still actually own the freaking record for the triple jump and don't forget i was a high jumper too (laughs) (laughs) and ran the four by one (laughs) and was pretty doing it yeah well i like track um i had a i think i told you i had an outstanding track coach who became my uh neighbor his name was frank ahern and probably one of the best technicians and no matter what sport you were in he was a technician and he taught you technique and those were the things that carried me to uh, the success that i had in track as well as in, in football they even tried to get me to play basketball i could play but i just didn't like basketball practice. <laughs> we had mel gray on earlier and he talked about balance and the hands, how little move, almost like the the least you move the wind, the faster you were. Yes, uh, I had uh, uh, Frank Ahern uh, gave me a quick example. He told me to clench my fist as fast, hard as I could and flick it as fast as I could. And he said, relax your hand and flick it as fast. He said, which one is quicker? The one that's relaxed. So that's the mentality. And it's real simple. But it's real, and uh, that's something that um, that I thought about as I ran, even uh, as, as a running back or receiver or returner in track. Those are the things I thought about running loose. You know, Terry, if I'd known that, I could have cut that six to five real simple. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes, but sometimes you got to have uh, the God-given ability also. We're going to go through some statistics and careers, and I don't want people to get muddied down because the story that is Terry Metcalf is really what we're doing right here. But from Everett, you go to Long Beach, 1971, you set the NCAA division record for rushing touchdowns in a season. Oh, yeah. Well, I was fortunate to go to, I was supposed to go to Oklahoma State, but I backed out and had to find a school that wasn't on the national letter of intent. 
which at the time Long Beach, Long Beach wasn't. So I went to Long Beach. Um, I always wanted to play in California anyway. I wanted to go to USC, but they didn't give me a call so much. Anyway, but I knew they cared. They ran the ball a lot. Um, so I went there, and they told me they didn't have any running backs. So I get there, there's 11 of us. Um, so I had to compete. It didn't. It didn't deter me from, from from competing and trying to do my best. But when I got my opportunity, I, I uh, did what I do best, and that's make yards and score touchdowns. And uh, I became the starter. And um, I had a, a good offensive line. We had a good offensive coordinator. And I said I carried the ball 35 times a game. I weighed 185 pounds. And, I was averaging three touchdowns a game and probably 150 plus yards a game and uh, was loving it. And it was you know, on the grass and it was in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> so if Oklahoma State knew better, you'd be Barry Sanders before Barry Sanders. Well, it's true that. And, uh, you know, one compliment Barry gave me uh, was that he looked up to me as a running back because, you know, he's not big in stature either. But he's very elusive and that same balance and thing that you were talking about, he has that too. So we're talking about Long Beach State right now. Mm-hmm. You not only ran the ball, you were a great blocker. Well, I, I, I did what I could do. I, I didn't really like blocking, but you know, it's part of the package, part of the, the job description. So you have to block sometimes. Uh, you know, I threw a couple of touchdown passes too here and there in college. <laughs> You know, it's funny. It's kind of like pitchers in baseball don't want to talk about their no-hitters, but they want to talk about the three times they hit a home run. It's the right. same thing with running backs. Right, right. Yes. So, uh, but, yeah, I was uh, – uh, I think I was telling you on the phone, I was a well-versed player because playing with my older brothers and his friends, we had to play every position. Uh, you couldn't just be the running back or the receiver. You had to do it all. And so we had to learn all those different skills and techniques and combine them into one one package. At Long Beach, one of your main rivals was San Diego State. Their head coach was Don Coriel. Well, yeah, we went down to San Diego. The first time we went down there and played in the, uh, San Diego, and I think the most memorable time was it was fourth and, I don't know, let's say fourth and 13. And I also punted in the college and, and kicked off, so I was back to punt. It was a bad snap. I had to go high and get it with one hand. Came down. I turned and looked, and my offensive lineman was waving me on. So I said, okay, let's go. So I go, I run, and I get about 12 and a half yards, and I get hit. And if you didn't know better, you think I fumbled forward. <laughs> and then my teammate fell on the ball. <laughs> and got the first down. The next play, I went in to score, and uh, we ended up beating <laughs> And Don says, I'm going to be the head coach of the St. Louis Cardinals, and in 1973, I'm taking that kid in the third round. <laughs> Something like that. I'm not sure those were the exact words, but yes. And I believe in my heart that's why I got drafted to St. Louis, because Don Back in the day, Terry, how'd the draft work? Did you have an agent? Did you know you were getting drafted by the Cardinals? Did you know you were getting drafted at all? Walk me through it. No, because, you know, I was a little guy, 185 pounds, rocks in my pocket. Um, I didn't know. And, you know, actually Long Beach at that time was Division Two, maybe Division Three, So we weren't, you know, considered a big school. 
So I didn't know. I mean, I wanted to get drafted, but I didn't know where and when or, or how. And uh, I think I told you earlier, I wasn't even at home when the draft was going on. Somebody had to come find me and tell me I got drafted. That's how I figured it out. And my whole thing was just getting drafted. And, and I did. And I, uh, it was a blessing. And off to sunny St. Louis you go. Yeah, when I got to St. Louis, coming from California, everybody's kind of happy-go-lucky. St. Louis was kind of dreary to me. <laughs> you know, it just, the people were a little different. And it was my first time in the Midwest. And then uh, I think I was downtown one time, and the light changed, and everybody just started walking, and that, that kind of shocked me because, I mean, everybody caddy, I mean, you know, this way, that way. And I said, well, what? What kind of place is this? But then I went into the office with uh, God rest his soul, Don, and Larry Wilson and Joe Sullivan. I think Joe has passed too. And they went there talking to me, uh, talking to me about football. And then Larry Wilson asked me, did I, did I play defense? I said, sure. I mean, I played whatever I could play. I mean, at every community college, I didn't come off the field. So, um, it was nothing that I didn't think I could do, but then Don spoke up and said, no, this is my running back and made my chest stick out a little bit because someone knew what I could do as a runner and gave me a little more confidence uh, in, in this game of football. Did you catch a lot of balls in college out of the running back position? Because that was really what made you different in the middle 70s. No, I carried a 35 pound it. The only time I only time I caught it is when he uh, sweep or pitch. But as far as running pattern, no, I didn't do that very often, if at all. Especially when we got in the red zone, it was the running backs territory. I got the ball almost every time running. So no, but like I said, going back to my previous years as a youngster, uh, we had to learn how to play every position. So catching the ball was just something to do, you know. I mean, I can remember in high school, I played five different positions in one game. Um, defensive uh, end, uh, rover, defensive back, uh, running back, receiver. So, you know, being able to move all around the field is, was nothing new for me or nothing that would intimidate me. When you got drafted, did you have an agent? Uh, yes, my first agent was uh, a former player. Uh, John Wooten, that blocked for Jim Brown, for Cleveland Brown. Um, you know, it was that time when uh, it, it was a black thing and everybody said, let's get a black agent. So I got a black agent. And then the other, the other plus was he was a former player. Um, uh, so I thought that would be a, a good way, a good segue into the league. But uh, after a while, I got rid of him because he wasn't what I was really looking for, unfortunately. But um, then I picked up Richard Bennett out of uh, St. Louis, uh, Missouri. Uh, I met him through Wayne Morris, who was, a, who was drafted the next year. Um, Wayne went to school with Rick's brother in, 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 uh, in, in college, and so that's how we met, and Rick became my agent. For the players we've had on this show, mm -hmm. I have not heard a lot of great, I'm so happy, the experience of getting drafted and signed was wonderful. I mean, that's only that's only a small piece of the pie, because the big thing is you get drafted, you get signed, 
And back then they weren't giving up very much money. So it wasn't like you get $25 million to sign your name now, especially being, let's get this straight, I was the second choice in the third round. So, you know, so, you know, money wasn't, uh, and then being under the ownership of Bill Bidwell, who was kind of tight with the dollars, um, not kind of, he was tight with the dollars. <laughs> so we didn't, it wasn't like we were uh, going to be a millionaire. But my main thing was I got drafted. Now I have opportunity to play with the best. And, you know, there was, I mean, I was confident, but there was still some insecurity because of size. Can I do it? And, uh, but so, but the excitement about just signing was only a small piece of the puzzle. I want to know, could I play? Could I play with these guys? Um, could I play with these all pros? Uh, we had a, uh, Post game in Chicago, there used to be uh, the college all stars uh, against the Super Bowl champs, which was the Miami Dolphins that year, the undefeated team. But we practiced in Chicago, but so we practiced against the Chicago Bears. Dick Buckus was still on the team. I knew who Dick Buckus was. I wasn't going to let Dick Buckus have a flashback and, you know, <laughs> hit me like that because I didn't like being hit like that. So I mean, my common sense would still kick in, like, okay, I have to respect these guys because they're pros. Even after I started playing and doing well, there was guys on the other side of the ball, you weren't scared of them, but you respect them. So you got your debut, 73. It's also Coriel's debut. Yes. You whip off 100 yards against Philadelphia, and you're thinking, I got this. Well, well honestly, not that I got this, but I can do this. I can do this. You know, um, before that, I wasn't really sure. I mean, you know, playing against college also as your peers is one thing, but now you're playing with those that are above you. It's quote unquote supposed to be better than you. So there's still a little bit of insecurity, and there was, but after that first game in Philly, and they told you to put your helmet on when you walk off the field because they might hit you with stuff, um, bottles or whatever they, they so choose to throw, I said, well, I can play this game. And uh, it gave me a lot of confidence. Joe Gibbs was your offensive back coach, correct? Correct. What did he teach you? He taught me how to, we used to go at, we kind of had the same kind of personality, perfectionist, um, uh, that, that, that eagerness to win. And uh, he was very, he was a technician too. That's one thing I can say about Don Coriel's coaching staff. They were teachers. And so he taught me the game of football, not necessarily how to play the game, but the philosophy, the play calling, why this play is called to set up another play, why you have to know what everybody's doing so you know what you're doing in case things break down. Because we used to get tested uh, my rookie year, and I would pass, I would not pass those tests because I didn't, I just ran the ball. Just give me the ball, tell me where I got to go, and I go. <laughs> this, was a, this was a different situation where you had to really, Thing. You know, it's one thing to play the game, but it's another thing. Don Coriel said, I'd rather take a less athletic individual but was intellectually smart about the game because if I could take a more athletic guy but didn't know the game, actually he's going to slow down. His, his skill set's going to draw back where the other guy's going to move forward. So uh, after that first year, I had to, I buckled down and I, 
started really learning plays and where people were and where they're supposed to be. And, and I know to this day that enhanced my game. Rookie year, four, nine, and one. Do you think we're better than the record and we're going to show it next year? Well, they had been four, nine, and one, I think, two or three years in a row, maybe four. I'm not sure. But I came from Long Beach and we were winning. You know, we were nine and two. And I'm saying that this is, this is not it. So when I went home, when I went back to California after my rookie year, I said, I'm going to be a leader, not necessarily vocally, but I'm going to get in the best shape that, I can, that I've ever been in. And I'm going to show this is how you win. And I did that. I, that's when I started running long distance. I was running 10 miles a day, was playing basketball, uh, lifting weights. And I just got in the best shape that I could possibly get in. My motto was, I'm going to outlast them. I'm going to, now I used to tell people this, I'm going to run as long as land lasts. So as long as there was land out there, I was going to have the ability to run. And that took uh, stamina. That took uh, a lot of work. And I came back in 1974, I had a breakout season. And, and I believe that's because of two things. I was in shape, the best shape I was ever in. And then I started to understand the game of football in a different uh, perspective and just running the ball, just running the ball. I had to block, I had to catch, I had to read the plays, I had to read the linebackers. You know, all kind of stuff was into the, into the mix of the game. 1974, two rule changes, Terry. Both may have meant nothing to you. One, they moved the goalposts from the front of the end zone to the back, which I don't know why they hadn't done that earlier, but that was one rule change. The other that I think may have applied is they moved where teams kicked off five yards back. So now it became more difficult to touch back in the end zone and returns became more prevalent. You remember either of these two things? No. And I didn't really care because <laughs> if you kick the ball to me, I'm going to try to run it down your throat anyway. <laughs> I don't care where it's at. <laughs> um, uh, the goalpost thing, I really don't remember that at all. And, um, but it was kind of crazy to have a goalpost right there. Uh, when I went to Canada, it was still right there. Right. And you know, that could be dangerous sometimes. Um, but the, the one, the, the, the moving the kickoff back, I, I think it gave me an advantage because I had more time to get a field, get ahead of steam, and kind of see what they were doing and how I could adjust to get my break. Just got to beat one guy, man. Well, well, well you got to be able to get going. <laughs> uh, yeah, that wedge is uh, very uh, important to you. Those guys, uh, not necessarily knocking guys out of the front line, but at least maintaining contact where I can see, and I can see a hole, and that's what happens. 74, 10 and 4, you make the playoffs. Are you thinking, oh, man, we can be doing this for a little while. Let's let's sit back and enjoy this. Well, yes, uh, we, we had the offense, and we needed some little help. We, need, we always need help. We always need uh, better players. Um, but yeah, I thought we had something that could last a while. I thought uh, one day we would go to the Super Bowl. I really believe that because I believe we had the personnel to do that. First divisional title in 26 years. Did you buy many dinners? Did you buy many meals in that year? 
Well, I don't know if I buy, but I, you know, I always uh, took care of the linemen because they're the guys that get you going. If you don't have a line, it doesn't matter how good you are, uh, you're going to be in trouble. And a good example of that is O.J. Simpson in Buffalo because his first three years, you know, that knee surgeries and everything because the line wasn't that good. But then when they got the electric company, then he could do what he could do. And uh, I've always uh, understood how important the offensive line is to a running back because they get you going. If you can't get to the line of scrimmage or pass the line of scrimmage, then you're in trouble already. So uh, we had a great line. Uh, we were the original Hogs. The Redskins kind of took that over when they were on the Super Bowl runs and stuff. But we had the original Hogs with Dan Beardorf, Conrad Goldberg, Tom Banks, Bob Young, and Roger Finney. Uh, Ernie McMillan was also part of that. He knew a lighter part of his career. Comrade Dobler, better be with than against. Yeah, because people say he was dirty. You know? I don't know. As long as he's knocking him out the way, that's not my problem. <laughs> now, I have seen him do some things that were a little suspect, but um, he did whatever it took to uh, get the job done. Some people didn't think everything that he did was above board, but Conrad took advantage of his skill set and what he could do. And it got him a lot of notoriety. It made him a few bucks, too. It's rare that on the same team you have the NFC Player of the Year and the guy who finishes second, and that's what happened with you and Jim Hart. That's a lot of offense. Well, you can credit Don Carriel, the coaching staff, putting that thing together, utilizing individuals uh, to the best of their ability of what they do best and be able to put them in positions to win. Uh, it's not about, and I don't understand why some coaches don't still do that now. If you're a player like myself, don't just stick me in the backfield all the time. Move me around. Uh, you know, now they say, well, he's good, but he can run kickoff, but we don't want him to get hurt. Well, you can get hurt going up steps in the locker room. I mean, so, my thing was this, they, they understood uh, what we could do and they utilized those things. And it made us not only a powerful offense, but it made us trust and believe in each other. The straw that stirs the drink is Jim Hart. It's not like he was the number one draft pick. Mm -hmm. It's not like in a lineup you would say, he's my guy. But for those three, four years, he was the guy. Jim, Jim had probably, to me, one of the best arms in the game. Wasn't going to scramble too much. Couldn't run, uh, couldn't run very fast. But was uh, intelligent enough to read defenses, understand what they're giving him, and take advantage of them, and get the ball to the playmakers. You know, Mel Gray, uh, myself, uh, Jackie Smith, uh, Earl Thomas, uh, Ike Harris. Pat Tilly, whoever could get open, give them ball and let them do the work. Next year, 1975, another one of the great Terry Medcalf records. I'm reading this now, so I don't get it wrong. You set a then NFL record for most combined yards, 2,500 or so in a season. You know what that tells me is just give me the effing ball and I'll make it happen. Well, yeah, when crunch time came, that's what I would tell him. Give me the ball. 
And they you know sometimes Tom Banks would look at me in the corner. He said, let's go, because my nickname was Sweet Pea. Let's go. And I said, well, here I am. I'm right behind you. And that's the kind of mentality that we had that no matter what the score looked like, no matter how much time was left, we still felt that we could win the game. Did we always win the game? No, but a lot of times we did. And that was 14 games, 1975. That's 14 well, games. Let me, let me, it was 14 games, and I, and I missed two games. Ooh, okay. <laughs> well, now I'm doing the math in my head, and I'm not that smart, Terry. Hey, did, did, did Eric ever get close? Uh, I'm not sure. He might have. Because uh, they kind of, they were smart enough to utilize him like they utilized me. Uh, the one difference was for him, he was faster than I was. Um, you know, he ran a four three in high school. Uh, my fastest time ever was four five. But I always thought I could. I can't beat the clock. So, what's the big deal? Mine was com uh, competition, competitive speed. If you're chasing me, I might run a four two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he got close. He got close. Before I start every episode, I know I'm going to ask three or four questions. Right? Here's one I know I'm going to ask you before we sit down. Mm -hmm. Reading articles, getting ready. By the way, we talked yesterday to set this up, so mm -hmm. it wasn't like we had a week to get this going. But you're on right. Here's your quote. You're talking about Eric. Quote unquote. I don't want to become a stumbling block. I didn't want to get in his way. I wanted to allow him to grow and be his own person and develop his talent. Dude, as a guy who's coached a lot of very not good young. Basketball players and baseball players. I wish a lot of other parent, parents had had the same philosophy. Well, he, he, of course, I wanted him to be the best. Of course, I wanted him to do all these things. But I felt if I put more pressure on him than necessary, then that wouldn't happen. Because the best performers in sports are the ones that are relaxed, that just play the game. It's in high school. It's still a game. There's no money involved. And you know what? His career in NFL is not even in existence yet. Yes, I would like him to play, but did I know he was going to get drafted? No. Did I know he was going to go to the University of Texas? No. I just wanted him to play the best he could in high school at that time. And matter of fact, that his junior year, I was coaching on that staff, they are going to induct us to his high school Hall of Fame, that whole team. Because we won the, the Virginia State Catholic Championship. My, my coaching is coaching is uh, it's not rocket science. Yes, you want them to do the best, but also you want them to still play the game because it's still a game. Keep it simple, and just let the athleticism, especially when they're as, as athletic as your son, it'll win. Yes, because uh, even in Virginia, uh, Gonzaga Prep, and there was Carroll uh, High School. And they were asking me, why didn't I send his send my son to those schools? They were known football powers in the, in the uh, Washington metropolitan area. And I said, well, I sent him to Bishop Dennis Bishop J. O'Connell because of the academics. Because if he was good, I want him to have the grades to get to college. Um, and even if he wasn't good enough, I still want him to have the grades to go to college and still do some things that he wanted to do. So it wasn't about the game itself as it was about his life. All right, here's another great Terry Metcalf record. First player in NFL history to average at least 30 yards per kickoff 
and 10 yards per punt return in the same season. I mean, are you, are you just cool? Should we just have like a t-shirt like Superman on your chest? No, but I got a shirt that I'm going to reproduce and said little, little man, big moves. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I got those records, but a lot of that credit goes to my teammates that were out in front blocking for me and allowing me to do what I was gifted to do. I know a lot of times on kickoff return, I'd be back there deep waiting and they would turn around and look at me and some of them would go, let's go. And that's kind of like trusting in me that I'm going to do what I do, but also we're going to do what we're going to do. One particular touchdown, my first long kickoff return against the Cleveland Browns in St. Louis, it was a 95-yard touchdown and there was uh, – 23 blocks thrown on that particular run. See, that means other people were hustling. There's only, there's only 10 of them, right? Right. That means people are knocking people down, getting up, and going to get somebody else. Now, the same guy, his name was Willie Belton, was in the wedge, hit people at the wedge. I broke through. He was the same guy down at the, about the 10, 15, that threw the last block. So, see, I got a lot of credit for what I did, but there was a lot of credit to those guys that were in front of me that made away. This is how good the Cardinals were, how entertaining they were. 1975, you got the Thanksgiving game. Yeah, we lost though. <laughs> but you got it. My mom came. <laughs> we lost. <laughs> I, but I got yeah. I set a record that day. I can't remember what it was. I five touchdowns and five touchdowns, five different ways in a single season. Right. So uh, it, again, the records you have, they're they're like I'm cool records. I, hey, we'd all like to be Emmett Smith. We don't like to have the most yards ever. But the records you have are like I'm a stud. Let me tell you why. I'm different. Let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. But here's here's the good thing about all that. Corey all knew that I wasn't the guy that was going to be running between the tackles all day long because I wasn't built that way. But he knew he would try to get me out in open spaces, get me in a place where I could win, get me one-on-one, two-on-one, and he'd figure I'm going to win. And that's what he – that's the level of confidence that he, Joe Gibbs, Jim Hannafin – Rob Dowhower had in me as a, as a footballer. So we're talking 1975, and we're going to go through a whole lot of other stuff. Terry, appreciate the time. I'm having a ball. There was a game against the Giants. We talked about you throwing touchdowns. So 75 against the Giants. You throw a 51-yarder to Mel Gray. By the way, Hart has another touchdown to Mel Gray, but only 38 yards. Jurassic? Hey. You do what you do. <laughs> well, see, I just I I just thought I could throw the ball. Well, here's the thing. My roommate, Eddie Moss, who played, uh, wasn't a starter or anything, but he was my roommate. We used to practice every day, standing on sideline to sideline, throwing back and forth to each other without taking a step and see if we could hit each other right in the chest. So I was, yeah, I was practicing before I actually I was throwing the ball in the game. So 
Just throwing it down to the middle grade who's wide open. Oh, that one is just piece of cake. Just throw it to him. Throw it anywhere. And also knowing Mel with his speed, get it anywhere out there close to him, and I know he's going to get you. Jackie Smith has been on the show. I called him this morning and I said, "Hey, we're having Terry on tonight. You got any stories? You, you got anything? Two things. One was he told me you were responsible for him getting thrown out of a game once. Do you remember that story? What game was that? He said you were getting beat up by the opposition after the whistle, and he actually wasn't in uniform that day. He was hurt." <laughs> I don't remember that, but if Jackie said it happened, it happened. So he walks out on the field in the street clothes and starts getting in the, their he starts getting in their faces, and they boot him and they don't kick him out of the stadium. They just send him like to Siberia. They send right. him to the farthest. What you're <laughs> the other thing, when he was guarding and getting ready for the sweep. You were so fast around his butt, he thought you were lining up behind him. <laughs> well, see, I was trying to get somewhere in a hurry. My, my, one of my models was don't let me turn that corner. So if I got to that corner, you're in trouble. Uh, but the key is he was sustaining his block long enough so me, for me to get there so I could do those. And it might not have been that I was that fast, but he was engaged with a defensive lineman or linebacker holding them up at the line of scrimmage and giving me that opportunity to get where I needed to go. Is there a nicer guy than Jackie Smith? No. And not a tougher guy either. You know, and I used to think Jackie Smith was black when I was young. I don't know why. Just because of the name. But then when I got drafted there and started playing, I'm saying, he is not black. Because, I mean, he got a lot of notoriety when I was young before, you know, I got to the professional level. And I don't know why. I think the name more than anything, but Jackie's not a, there's not a better guy, not a harder worker and uh, love him much. All right. So OT, we're documenting St. Louis. We talked yesterday, like around two o'clock or whatever it was. I threw it out there. I told the people, Terry's going to be on. Do you have any questions? Here are the following questions they want to know. Number one, do you have an opinion? Cardiac cards? Or greatest show on turf? Cardiac cards. There you go. Was there anybody on the team that you looked up to? Hmm. I looked up to all of them. I mean, actually, because they taught me a lot about the game. We weren't only just teammates, but they showed me some things about being a professional athlete and how to win. Uh, and so I had several, Mel Gray, Jackie Smith, uh, Conrad Dobler, even with Conrad as wild as he is, but he was still a hard worker. It was about his business. Um, Dan Deardo, uh, Bob Young. There was Tom Brahaney who went to Oklahoma. We got drafted in that same year, uh, who came in when Tom was hurt. Um, so I had several people, uh, Jim Hart, who was, back then was a Christian and I didn't even know what that meant. But he, he, I knew what he stood for. I knew he was about business. He studied the game. He showed, he made an example to me of what a student athlete is about. And that's what we need today to become better athletes. Athleticism is one thing, but when you become a student of the game, it enhances your athleticism. 
did Jim Otis say anything to you after your first touchdown? I don't remember if he did or didn't. I can't remember. I probably was so excited I was spiking the ball. So I don't know if, he, if anybody said anything. If they did, I probably didn't hear. <laughs> you were seen after one of the Cowboy games wearing something about the Cowboys eating bird shit. <laughs> yes. I was so tired of those guys. Um, and we find it was the first time that we beat them in Dallas. And I had this shirt on. I don't know Where'd what made me shirt? buy this shirt. Terry, I don't, what, I don't know what made me buy this shirt. I don't know what made me have it like that. But I had it on. And we won. And I was going to show it, but they didn't, you know, you know they were going to show that on TV. <laughs> but yeah, that's what it said. And that's back when I was a little crazy. And I didn't like I didn't like the Cowboys. Not so much, you know, individually as, as personal, but they were our rivals and they seemed to always get in our way trying to do what we need to do to be winners. I got to give a shout out to Mel. He gave me your number so we could set this up. He had a good yes. time on earlier. Question that the peoples want to know, mm -hmm. who was faster, you or Mel? Oh, no question, Mel. Mel was one of the fastest guys in the league. Um, Mel was a sprinter in college. You know, I, I, I wasn't a sprinter. I was a jumper. I ran on the four by one, but I wasn't a outright, I didn't like to just run straight anyway. That just seemed kind of boring to me. <laughs> you know, in high school, Mel tied Jesse Owens for the fastest 100. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Mel, Mel, pound for pound, step for step, there was none better. He was tough, he was fast, and he loved to win. This is not a fan's question. This is my question. Do I remember you scoring a touchdown and throwing the ball into the stands? I can't remember. Okay. I could have, but I don't know. I'm not sure. All right. Here is the most asked question oh. by overtimers. Between rushing, receiving, punt, or kick returns, did you have a favor? I didn't like punts that very much because you have to sit around and wait for people to come down there. It's like you're sitting up. <laughs> um, if I had to choose between punt and kickoffs, it'd be kickoffs any day because the ball gets there. But as far as which one, it didn't matter as long as I had the ball in my hand. I just wanted the ball, whether it was receiving it, whether it was throwing it, whether it was punt return, whether it was kickoff return, it didn't, it didn't matter. 1975, another first-round loss in the playoffs. Yeah. Ooh, that, that was the Los Angeles Rams, right? The first one was Minnesota Vikings. Right, okay. Tarkington, right? Yeah, up there in the snow. <laughs> but, I mean, that didn't bother me because we're in the playoffs. Man. I don't care about the weather. We're trying to win. It was just one of those things we came up short. 1975. We played the Rams out there, I think, because of the weather change, it affected me more so than anything. I cramped up in the second half and couldn't play the second half. I had a tremendous first half, and I couldn't come back and help my teammates. It was, it was devastating to lose, but it was more devastating because I couldn't help. Running it through, 1976, still a great year, 10 and 4. But the skins sweep us and we don't make the playoffs. 
Yeah. I think Dallas Cowboys lost to, to the Redskins on purpose that year. <laughs> so we wouldn't be in there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, and, and it's kind of it was kind of tough. You ten to four, you don't make it. Right. It's only fourteen games. You got you won ten of them. You still should be able to make it. But hey, Terry, everybody makes it at nine and seven now. Right. I'm saying, really, <laughs> we missed. We missed it. We were ten and four. Uh, anyway, yeah, that it was. It was it was heart wrenching because I thought we you were even though we were ten for us, you know that we had an opportunity to win. I digress. How was it playing on that turf? In St. Louis, in September, you could see the heat rays rise up off the ground. It was devastating. And, um, because you know, back in our early years they told us don't drink water. You know, you want to give us salt. But we should have been drinking water because that because of the turf and the, the, the traction, I think it enhanced uh, cramping if you did not have enough fluids in your system. Um, I liked the turf, but I didn't like the way it felt. I liked the fact that you stayed clean, but I didn't like getting body slammed on it. <laughs> um, you know, basically, it, it was basically green concrete. Well, basically, it was a it was turf, and that turf, I think, originally was made for uh, patios. And they have a maybe a quarter inch of padding underneath on top of concrete. That's not good for the body. Not good for the body at all. Um, no, I didn't like it. I'd rather play on grass. You're sharing the stadium with the baseball Cardinals. That's the other problem. Because they had those seams for first base, for the pitcher's mound. I twisted my ankle one one year and on a seam, not because somebody twisted, not because I stepped wrong. I hit one of those seams, and that's not good. That's not good at all. It's your own fault for being fast. See, when you're slow and fat like me, it doesn't hurt anything. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> we recently lost Lou Brock. Do you have a Lou Brock story? Well, Lou, I met Lou, and we got pretty close. Not necessarily a story, but I looked at Lou as another leader in my life at that time. We, we played the game uh, to his best ability. He was not only a gentleman on the field, but a gentleman off the field. So um, uh, and I wish his family well, and, but he meant a lot to me in those times even though we had to play on the same field that he played on with all those seams in, in the ground. But uh, uh, he, was a, he was a good role model for a lot of young men. He twisted his ankle running over the 30-yard line. <laughs> While he was still in the base, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the wheels start to come off in 77. You're on a six-game winning streak. The team's seven and three. But it's like your third freaking game in 10 days. It's Thanksgiving. We lost to Buffalo a couple years earlier. And the Miami game got ugly quick. Is that really where the fork in the road happens? Well, at that, well, well, we were physically beat down. We played four games in like 18 days. When we got to Miami, a high school could have beat us because we were just dead there. We played Minnesota, Dallas, Buffalo, and then Miami. 
and we won three out of we won three out of four of those games. But there was such a short time span for rest and recuperation. Uh, I think we had a fight then to that during that game. And our dad took me out the game because the game was over. I think Bob Greasy threw six touchdown pass, and we just we couldn't beat anybody. But they had spotted us thirty-five points that day. We couldn't. We were just we were just we were just tore up, and the wheels started falling off because people wanted uh, raises. But they didn't want to give us raises. People were threatening to leave. People didn't leave. Um, and uh, I know we played Washington for our last home game. And uh, I got booed. Uh, I was back on the kickoff. It was a short, high kick. The guys in the wedge waved me to come get it. So I ran and went and got it. Yeah, I'm going to go get it. As I got it, caught it. I had to, you know, turn my body. And as I turned my body, they poked it out. So they booed me. So Washington goes down to scores. Go back for a kickoff again. They boo me again. I run maybe 20 yards or something. I'm not sure how far. The next play, I go for a 69-yard touchdown pass. I had that ball and I held it up <laughs> in the end zone. I really wanted to tell them what I thought, but I didn't. <laughs> didn't tell him that. And that's when it kind of, uh, that was kind of a straw that broke the camel back for me. And after that game, so it was the second to last game of the year, Coriel just goes off. Yeah, because, um, yeah, he does. He was a player's coach, but he didn't have the authority that he needed to put together the team that he wanted. You know, it's one thing for your general manager and uh, director of player personnel to pick who they think, but who knows your team better than your coach and what you need of the cardiac cards. Ike Harris went to New Orleans. Uh, I left, went to Canada. Coriel went to San Diego. Um, did anybody else leave that I can remember? I think the coaching staff, well, Jim Hannafin, I think, took over after that. But, but yeah, we just kind of just that was kind of, I don't know. I thought we had something really special there. And I thought with the right pieces, uh, if we picked up the right pieces, we would be just that much more powerful. But for whatever reason, someone else didn't see that perspective. Feel free to say pass. I say Joe Sullivan. You say? didn't like him very much. He tried to compare me to a Cadillac. First time I ever went into the uh, negotiations. I didn't go the first time. So I went in this time. I wanted to go just to experience, you know, what goes on in, in doing a contract. So we're sitting out there, my lawyer, Rick, and I are sitting there, and sitting across from his desk, and he starts talking about Cadillac. Okay. And he says something like, you know, when a Cadillac leaves, it, the, the, the showroom floor it depreciates. And I'm looking at it. This guy's talking about me. And I looked at my lawyer and I told my lawyer, I said, Rick, I got to go. Because if I don't go, I'm going to beat him up. I'm going to come across that desk because I'm not a car. You can't get a retread on this knee. And once this goes, it goes. So don't compare me to no uh, depreciated running back. And so that's why I thought about it. And then uh, 
My lawyer stayed in and he came out and said, I got a deal. I said, okay, you'll take a pay cut. I said, huh? What does that, what, what are you talking about? I said, I said, you need to give me a raise, not a pay cut. So we walked around Bush Stadium three times. He's explaining this to me, but I had bought off some years of my contract. So I would be a free agent mm -hmm. that year. And, uh, you know, I didn't have any incentive clauses. I just got paid a straight salary. And um, then I cracked a bone in my hand. <laughs> so I had to wear a cast the first four or five games. But Joe Sullivan was not my favorite guy. We'll move on. Last question about this. You're a three-time pro bowler. Ballpark what pro bowlers were making and ballpark what you were making. There was a guy on the Washington Redskins who just did special teams and made more money than I did in St. Louis. And all he did was special teams. So there was a discrepancy in the pay. Um, and here's the thing. I was on it back then. I think we all were trying to get to $100,000. That's all I wanted was hundred. I'd still be there, probably still be there right now if I could play. And that's all I wanted. I just wanted to get compensated, which I thought was my due. And there'd have been no more problems out of me, but they didn't see it that way. So here's the last great Terry Medcalf record. Mm -hmm. Terry, who holds the record for most games of 250 plus yards in a game? And the record is seven. I guess because you're talking to me, it must be me. But I didn't know that either. Let <laughs> me think about that. that. There are 16 games. There are now multiple the offenses are different. The rules are different. Everything has changed. I I retraced my steps on this like five times to make sure this was right. Okay. The person who holds the record for most games of 250 yards collectively in a game is you with seven. Never I never knew that. <laughs> That must have been pretty good, huh? No, I'm just <laughs> I was, you know, I had a gift, and like I said, I don't want to take all the credit. I'll take some of that credit, but I don't take it off. But I had, like I said, once again, a coaching staff that knew what I could do and how to utilize it. I had teammates around me that would support me in, in that, and it would allow me to do what I could do. And that's why I was able to reach the heights that I reached in the so you get out of St. Louis, you spend a couple years in Canada, you come back to the NFL, mm -hmm. you're a dreaded Washington Redskin, Terry, mm -hmm. as a St. Louis Cardinal fan, as I'm showing you my I understand, shirt. I understand. 1981, uh, you hurt your spinal cord, and your career's over, correct? Correct. After the 81 season. After the 81 season. And at a time where the Skins actually have their – stuff together and go to two Super Bowls right after that. And I knew they were. Uh, during the offseason, Art Monk and I, we were neighbors. And I taught him how to really work out. <laughs> uh, I showed him the ropes. And we uh, were at this uh, racquetball club where we always played racquetball, but they also had a little basketball in the evening. We played in the league like four on four. Um, you know, just to get a you know a run in and stuff. I was getting ready to leave the ground, going up for a rebound. I 
went numb for seemed like a long time, but it really wasn't that long. But it was long enough that I, I was scared. And um, um, I, I recuperated, but it didn't recuperate enough where Joe Gibbs uh, felt confident enough to put me on. Um, 81 career games at that point in time. Not that you don't want to play again, but are you thinking, hey, Long Beach State didn't think I was big enough? I I had a ride. Yeah, I did. I, I felt that. I felt that I was cheated because I knew it. And, and this is the God's honest truth. I Because the previous year, we were 8-8. Eight and eight. But the second half of the season, we were the best team in the league, even though we didn't make it to the playoffs, but we lost five in a row front side but with the team we had and the chemistry we had and Joe Gibbs Joe Collins we called him Joe Collins because he was he was about his business we knew uh, I knew that we were going to go to Super Bowl that year and they ended up going to the Super Bowl and they ended up winning and I was, I was like crushed I mean, it's like I was right there on the doorstep and I couldn't go in the door right. I was even asked that I want to go to the game and watch it I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because I, my thing, and I still haven't went to a Super Bowl because I want to play in the Super Bowl. I don't want to watch the Super Bowl. And I'm gonna say it like this: I, I haven't. I've watched one Super Bowl in, in its entirety in my life because I'm not a fan like that. I mean, I I understand they do well, but I'm a participant. <laughs> and I, I gotta I, ask, what was the Super Bowl? Huh? What was the game you saw? I can't remember. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think I watched it because my family was watching more so than anything else. Um, yeah, because I wanted to play in that game so bad. I did. I really wanted to go, and, but it didn't. All right, Terry, as we alluded to at the beginning, what you're doing now with your life mm-hmm. is motivational and inspirational. You're in Washington. The career's over mm-hmm. because of injury. Mm-hmm. Your son Eric comes back to live with you, and you're not doing so well. Correct. Not doing well at all. Put it that way. Here's what I don't know, and if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. You're not under the spotlight anymore. You're working at a DC drug prevention program. And you've got a pro. You, you got a problem. How do you reach inside you and get out from underneath that? I had a problem. Eric was doing well. Got drafted. I think number thirteen. Um, the first thing they called me and asked me, "Well, he has big shoes to to fill." I said, "No, he doesn't." I wear a 10, he wears a nine and a half. He can't wear my shoes and I can't wear his shoes. I just wish him the best, you know. Um, um, how did I come out from, I was still in a drug prevention program helping other people not to use and to seek their goals and be successful in life, be a successful human being. But when the game of football left me, at that time, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my purpose in life. Even though I was doing a good thing, um, it wasn't the thing that kept me motivated. Um, 
to be the best that I could be. Um, so after the game of football, it took me about 10 years to rebound. And uh, I had moved back home here and was teaching. And uh, my family kept saying, I need to go to rehab. I need to go to rehab. And I'd already been to rehab a couple times, two times, maybe three times. And, you know, now we are, I know that. They, they can't tell me nothing. Which they really couldn't tell me anything because I knew what to say, how to say it. I knew all of that stuff. But what they were saying to me or what I needed to say to myself wasn't resonating inside of me. So I went uh, to rehab uh, in uh, 1990 out of anger. Right during the Christmas breaks, so I said, oh, I only go up there for like seven days now. Come out, then I'll go back one. So I went up there and seven days turned into two years. Not because I had to, but because I had to. And I stayed in this program for two years and with the help of the Lord, dug my way out of this ditch. And I uh, have not turned back since. Um, not even thinking about turning back. Uh, now I've changed my life with the Lord. I'm an associate pastor. I'm a kindergarten teacher, a curriculum specialist, coach, mentor, um, whatever, uh, to help people not go through what I had to go through. Um, and it wasn't anybody forced me to. You know, I used to blame people. Uh, you know, Joe Gibbs said, ah, when you get through, you get a coaching spot open, you get a coaching job. Because the reason he got me from Canada, because he knew I was a player coach. <laughs> but anyway, that didn't happen. So I was mad at him, unfortunately. But it wasn't his fault. Um, he probably was not only looking out for the organization. But, you know, he couldn't be sure. But anyway, I, I rolled on, came back home, met the Lord, got straight, and I have not looked back. And my thing is now uh, I'm helping young children or helping people to be the best that they can be and do all that I can do uh, to help them. Do we celebrate December 29th? December 29th. That's my second birthday. December 29th, 1990. That's my birthday. My second birthday. That's when I turned my life over to the Lord and all that other bad stuff been bye-bye. Now, was I perfect at that? No. But I've been striving ever since to be the best that I could be and be the role model that I used to portray and was faking. You know, it's one thing to say you're doing right and being right, but then you're not living right. You know, I'm living right in front of you, but then when I go home, I'm doing something else. And I couldn't be a hypocrite no more. I was tired of being a hypocrite. I was tired of being sick and tired because uh, you know, I lost a lot of stuff, uh, personal stuff, but relationships and things of that nature that I wouldn't want to lose again because I value life too much and I value relationships too much. So, uh, I just thank God that I'm here today because I, I told you earlier, I never thought I would be 
sitting in the position I'm sitting today. And it had not been for the people in my life that really cared about me. Um, my lawyer, who Richard Bennett, who passed on, he fixed it up where I would be okay financially for the rest of my life. You know, and uh, I thank him for that. I still thank his wife for that. But those things were put in place because of God wasn't through with me yet. You know, Terry, <clears throat> I grew up liking you, enjoying you on the field. We said yesterday we would do this. I started to do some research, and this is what got me most excited about talking with you, is, is what you've done since then. So am I reading this right? Please correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. You are teaching at-risk youngsters kindergarten at Greater Trinity Academy in Yvette. Correct? Everett, Everett, Washington, yes. Yes. And you've been doing this for how long? Well, in Everett, I've been doing it for seven years, but then I was at Zion Preparatory Academy, 95 to 2000. So. All right. How are you doing this in COVID? Well, because uh, at Greater Trinity, we are a licensed daycare. We still, see, our school only goes preschool, pre-K, kindergarten, our actual school. We, have a, we do have an after-school program and a uh, before-school program. That is the other part. Those are school ages, what we call first grade to fifth grade. They are in another part of the building and they do their virtual learning. In my classroom, because I don't have very many right now because of COVID, we're teaching. We keep our social distancing, we wear our masks, and we're learning. Um, I go there every day, every day. Been doing it. We've been wearing masks since March. We've been doing this pre this preventive COVID thing since March, and uh, uh, it's by the grace of God that we're still going and we're still moving. And no one has got gotten sick, and uh, I thank God for that. And I think because we're doing the right thing. We do have. I've had homeless kids in my class. I've had abused kids in my class. But I still tell them your circumstances do not dictate where you're going to go or what you're going to go. In an article I dug up, your executive director had the following quote. Children become alive and vibrant and full of the excitement of learning when they get to know Terry. Yeah, I make learning fun. <laughs> I mean, they're five and six years old. Some of them are four. And I try to make learning fun because I remember growing up, school wasn't fun to me. And it wasn't. And we're competing with Xbox, <laughs> Nintendo Switch, uh, PS4, PS5, whatever it is, telephones. So we have to not change what we're teaching, but we have to change how we're teaching. We have to get them excited about learning excited about being accept, successful in class. And when we can do that, then we can turn them around and make them the future. If you do not get hurt in Washington, maybe none of this happens. I kind of been saying that if I'd have got a Super Bowl ring, my head might not have been a, <laughs> you probably wouldn't have been able to put a hat on me. Uh, and I don't know, but that's where I was at that time, that possibly, was the outcome. So I don't think it would be this story 
this chapter in my life if I had one. So. Dr. Terry Metcalf. Yeah, that was a, who, who would ever thought that? <laughs> I did not like school, but it was something that I wanted to do and I needed to do. And when you write those, those, those theses and those, those dissertations, you're writing books. I'm a book writer. <laughs> who would ever thought? How many grandkids you got, man? Grandkids. I got uh, three, four, five. Got five grandkids. All right. So, last stupid question. Uh, they've all been stupid questions for me. What's the deal with Eric and the MM initials? Is he trying to save on towels or what's the deal? You so silly. <laughs> you so silly. I don't know why they did the MMM thing, but uh, yeah. I guess he just liked that M. I'm not sure why he did all the M's, but um, I'm grateful for those three. Um, and my uh, other son, Terrence, uh, the second, has a, I just had a grant. She turned one years old on the 20th of September. Her name is Nas Lee. Um, I have another uh, grandchild named Deja. Uh, she's 10 years old. So. Is it as much fun as they say, Grandpa? Grandpa's fine. Grandpa's fun. Teaching's fun because the kids I teach, um, I was telling one of our, our, our staff members today, you become a sometimes a father figure, an uncle, a brother, a cousin, because they don't have those kind of people in their lives that are quality role models. So you become that. It doesn't mean that you allow them to do whatever they want to do, but um, you show love through correction. And not, you're not abusive, but correction. And you correct them and you talk to them. You let them know. And that's what I do. Is there anything we have not talked about yet that you want to talk about? Um, no, I'm, I'm loving life. I'm, I'm blessed to be 69 years old. I don't take any medication. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well in the Lord. I, I'm a vegetarian now. <laughs> I don't eat meat. I started on a 12-day um, experiment, and four years later, it's still 12 days. I haven't, I haven't went back. I just, I feel better. My wife says I sleep better. I don't snore. Um, um, have more energy. So I'm just trying to, I want to live a long time, but I want to live a quality life. I don't want to live, uh, unfortunately, like some people would take a lot of pills or they're hurting you so bad that they can't enjoy life. And you are about to be a member of the St. Louis Hall of Fame. And I'm grateful for that. I'm, I feel honored. Um, what took them so long? I don't know. You know, um, maybe they had to find all my stats out. <laughs> no, I, I'm not really sure, but you know what? It's, it's regardless of when it is. I'm just grateful that it happened, and uh, I'll be enjoying that 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 afternoon, and I'll uh, be cherishing it. I know you don't do a lot of these. I appreciate the time. As we're filming this, it is what 7:40 your time, 9:40 on a Friday. You had a billion reasons to say no but you took the time and I hope you enjoyed it.
Well, I did. I, I did that very lot, very much so. Um, maybe we can do it again. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, uh, I got a lot to say. I got a story to tell. And I got to, I think, I believe I got to start using these kind of uh, venues to tell the story to maybe help somebody else. I'll come down to Springfield. We'll write a book together. Oh, hey, that sounds like a winner. <laughs> I've always wanted to. I just don't have the, I just don't have the get up to do it. Appreciate it, Terry. Let's go do a St. Louis 7. Thank you very much. So another one for the books. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for sharing and spreading the word as only overtimers do. Documenting St. Louis and having a ball. See you this Monday when we've got former Missouri basketball assistant and current record-setting head coach at UMSL, Bob Sunvolt, 40-plus years in the coaching profession. If you can help extend the invite, Ozzy Smith, I'm ready when you are. As we do, thanks for your time this time. Till next time, so long.